This is David Tarkington, lead pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. Thank you for downloading the sermon today. I encourage you to check out our website at firstfam.org. And if you get a chance, go to my blog, davidtarkington.com. Uh, as Sheldon was talking about, and I was just talking about, I do Oak Harbor, and I do game day, and I do a, a few other things as well. I'm, I feel God's called me to be a minister, but he's also called me to a day job. Although I say minister is also a day job. I'm, I'm an accountant. Now, a lot of people get all jealous when they find out I'm an accountant because it's such an exciting job, and they all want to jump in and do it, and they can't do it, and so they're all upset, you know, but, but don't... Don't be too upset. Don't be too jealous of me. I have a job as an accountant at a credit union. So there's an importance to that. Uh, how many of you are with credit unions? Just out of curiosity. Oh, great, great. Is it important to you that I account for your money correctly? Okay, yeah. So it's a pretty important uh, thing. As an accountant, I also have to report to the, myself and the accounting team. I have to report to regulatory agencies every single month. We call monthly financials, but there's a lot more involved with that. And so that is my primary function, is I have to report to these agencies that regulate us. And uh, that is my job. That is the accounting function. That's one of the big accounting functions that I have. There's other things that are nice for the accounting team, as in a, to be a good employee, you know, to, be, to communicate well, to be nice to the other employees, to show up on time, to get work done fast. Those are all important things, and they're tools to get to that final goal. But understand this, these are just tasks and tools to get to that final goal, right? They're not the goal in themselves. You could have someone that shows the work every single morning on time. They do all their work fast. They get, they get along with all the other employees. They're nice. They communicate well. But if they don't get that task done of making those financials work for that regulatory agency, they're not a good accountant. And that's what their job is based on. The other stuff is nice, and the other stuff can actually lead to that goal, but that's not the goal. How many of you want a nice yard, a nice lawn? It's that time of year, right? Uh, I would say that that's one of my goals, but my parents are here this morning, so they will attest that that's not one of my goals. <laughs> I am trying to do better in regards to watering it and so forth, but there's a lot that goes into having a good yard. If you want a good yard, you have to water correctly. What else do you have to do? Fertilize. What else? Mow. Edge. Edge. Plant if you're trying to... You're, a lot of things have to be done well to get... But the goal is not to fertilize, is it? The goal is to have a nice lawn. The goal is not to edge. Now, some people, they might like the work, but for the most part, if you're looking for a nice yard, these are the things that you need to do well to get them. And so today's message is going to be kind of what is our big goal that we have as a believer. Now, these principles, if you're not a believer, these principles will still work for other goals. But it's understanding the difference between the goal and understanding the tasks that make up that goal. And so we're going to look today in 1 John to see what it is about goals. And for me, I've got goals that I have, that I have to achieve, that monthly financial, that I have tasks to get to. And as a believer, I've got goals as well. I've got a responsibility, the same thing that you do, in regards to my maturity, my Christian walk, my walk with God. 
I have those. And sometimes things get in the way. Sometimes I perform that task wrong. What happens if you don't fertilize your yard? Goal doesn't get achieved. What if you fertilize incorrectly? Yeah, you can burn out the grass or not, not do what it's supposed to do. Same thing with watering. It doesn't achieve what it's supposed to. Well, same thing is with the Christian walk. Sin, which is sometimes what we call it, but it's failure, it's doing something wrong, means that I'm not accomplishing the goal that I'm supposed to be accomplishing as a believer, as a Christian, as a child of God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about from the believer's standpoint. But there is a key difference between a task for your yard or a task from, that I need to do for accounting and sin. Failure in the Christian realm. <clears throat> There's a difference. In the real world of lawn maintenance or accounting or whatever it is goal that you have, uh, I can sometimes make mistakes. I can over-fertilize because I don't know how much to fertilize. Right? I can under-fertilize because I don't know how much to fertilize. Sin is a little different. Most of the time when we sin, it's not because I don't know that it's a sin. Most of the time I know what I'm doing is wrong. Most of the time I know that I'm doing something that's contrary to what the goal is. Or worse yet, I decide I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not going to consciously do something. I'm just not going to think about it. And that is why sin is a little bit different than a regular task. And that's why it's so important as a Christian that we understand the point that makes up leading to the goal. So let's jump into 1 John here in regards to this, because this is important. This goal is important. It's going to talk about the commands that God gives. And that's important for us as believers, because a believer has commands from God that's given in the Word. And those commands affect how you work, how you deal with your employers and your employees. It affects how you deal with your family, your children. You have this end goal here for your family. I want to raise children a certain way, uh, whether it's the Christian way and the goals that we have for that and how you deal with your parents and how you deal with your grandkids. Uh, these are all things that, that are going to affect you and your Christian walk. It's not segmented out into the little church on Sunday. It's no, these commands are in, in the Word of God affect all aspects of your life. And so it's good to know what this goal is. So if we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, we're going to come to this where it says this goal. And this goal isn't too different than the goal that Christ gave in His Lord's Prayer. Remember His Lord's Prayers? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, your kingdom come means, God, your kingdom that's in heaven, that you're king of, that I'm... A, a, a citizen of as a child of God I want that to come to earth and I want that to be here which means that I'm called to act like a citizen of the kingdom correct I'm called to act like God is my Lord and that gets right into what John is saying here in verse 3 he says and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his what his commandments we keep his commandments so the goal of a Christian is to keep God's commandments. And it's a little bit more than that in regards to this. Because if we look at this verse here in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And by this we know. It's kind of 
a, a little bit in reverse. Basically what it's saying is, if you keep his commandments, this is what I know about you. This is what you know about yourself. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, this is the way our life looks. If we keep his commandments, if, if we know him, this is where our life looks. If we keep his commandments, it means that we know him. And that's good for us to know. We have this goal. We have this, this, this desire here that this is what we're a good Christian supposed to do. Obey God's commands. If I really know him, then I keep his commandments. Now, there's a few key words in there that I want us to look at. And that's the word know. How many times does the word know appear in that verse? Twice. Twice. It says, we know that we have come to know him. We have two different things here of know. One is about us, and one is about God. The second one, that we know him. Now, that Greek word for know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It doesn't mean just facts about him. I know him. I know about him. It means that you know intimately the fiber of him, the character of him. I know, uh, you know the celebrities that come out, right? Harrison Ford. I know Harrison Ford, but I don't know Harrison Ford. I don't know who Harrison Ford really is. I don't know him on an intimate level. I don't know the fiber of his being. I don't know him, but I know him. Well, the verse, the word that's using here means to know intimately. So when it says to know him, talking about God, that I, that God is known to me. I know the character of God. I know the fiber of God. I know what it is to be him. I know that. And the first know is about me, that I know that I know that. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves as to think that I know God when I don't even know if I know God. Now, he's talking to believers here. So we're not talking about someone that doesn't, hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior. But there's more than just Christ as your Savior. There's a Christ as your Lord. And you need to look at yourself. That's one of the word, the Greek word know. It talks about an, almost like an understanding, a searching out to make sure that you understand something. So what it's saying is that if you understand yourself, you need to be looking at yourself. And if you understand you and you understand who God is, then you'll keep his commandments. That's the proof that you know fully what you believe and that you know fully who God is. And how do I know that you believe that? Because you're keeping his commandments. If you're not keeping his commandments, it means you fully don't know who God is fully. This is a perfection thing to know God. And the second word that you need to take a look at in the verse is keep. Keep means obey, but the Greek word means more than just obey. It means guard, guard a precious treasure. In fact, in medieval times, a fortified tower was called a keep. It means that you value this. Keeping the commandments is something that I value. It's a treasure, a precious treasure that I'm protecting. And so by keeping it, by guarding it, I'm saying I'm in agreement with the commandment. I agree with God that this is a precious treasure. And I'm going to guard it, and therefore I'm going to keep it. I'm going to make sure that I adhere to it because it's precious to me. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. So we have here God saying, listen, if you really, if you're saying you know me, 
Here's how you know. Are you keeping my commandments? Keeping my commandments. Plus, it's also an active word. Keep. It's ongoing. doesn't mean just at the moment. It means that your nature, your habitual habits are one of keeping these commandments. And when you don't do that, that's called sin. That's called sin. It's an offense. It's a wrongdoing. But we have here a simple test. A simple test to know whether you know God. Do you keep His commandments? If you don't keep His commandments, then you don't know God. And it would be sad if my sermon ended there. How many of you perfectly keep God's commands? What are we to do? Dad gave the right answer. He pointed to Mother. So, (laughs) but we don't. John is saying that for me to really know God, I have to be showing that by keeping His commandments, but I don't. I fall so short of that. Does that mean I'm lost? Does that trouble anybody else when you commit a sin? When you don't obey God? Well, John is in this letter to the Ephesians, and it is a letter to the church of Ephesus, which is in Turkey. They were having some issues with what they called Gnostics. Gnostics was a sect that was very popular at the time. And to kind of distill it down what a Gnostic believed, basically, if you had, could attain some special knowledge, secret knowledge, that's what was important. The knowledge, the mere knowledge of it. And that superseded everything else. Which means that if you had this knowledge, you did not have to worry about obeying God's command. It superseded it. And you didn't have to worry about sin. In fact, because there was no God's command to disobey, there was no sin. So the problem they had in the church is that they had people standing up saying, yeah, if you have this knowledge, you don't have to obey God's commands, and therefore you're not sinning. And I want to highlight that this is a letter, and which means that it doesn't have chapter and verses numbering system that we have in there today. That's something that we put in after that to kind of make it easy to find stuff. But this is a letter. And so when we read this verse here in chapter 2, verse 3 of this letter, we're jumping kind of already into the letter, right? We're already jumping into the letter. Like I said, just like you write a letter, you know, you you say certain things and it has like a flow and goes through there. Well, we're going to take a look and see what led to him saying this in this paragraph because there's paragraphs and sentences before this. And so let's take a jump back here. Take a jump back and take a look at 1 John Chapter 1, verse 8. Just a little bit before in this letter that he's writing, he says this, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay. So, somehow or another in John, from chapter 1, we get to the fact that Basically, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. To, here's how I know that you know God, is that you are perfect and you're keeping His commands. 
Now, either John's schizophrenic and doesn't know what he's writing, or two, there's some connection that go from you sin, and if you think you don't, you're lying, to keeping his commands perfectly is a sign that you know God. So we're going to talk, take a look here of how we got from sin, 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 to perfect, perfect, perfect. There's something there. It's like in your yard, fertilizing too much. Well, you burn out, you should burn out the grass, but somehow or another, you still get that perfect lawn. How did that happen? How did you do that? Because you made a mistake over here, and yet somehow or another... Me as an accountant, it's like me not taking care of your cash correctly, and yet somehow or another, the regulatory agency says that's the perfect way of doing it. It doesn't make any sense. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let's take a look at that word deceive, what that means, that word deceive. It means to wander about to lead astray. It's also an active word. See, it says you deceive. Who are you deceiving here? You're deceiving ourselves. You're deceiving yourself. When you say you have no sin, you are telling yourself, listen, we need to leave the path and go over here to the wilderness. I need to lead myself astray. I need to lead myself to the untruth is what I'm doing. I'm not leading you. I'm leading myself when I say this. I'm wandering out here in the untruth. I've led myself there. This is an active thing. I didn't accidentally stumble out there. I am deceiving myself. You didn't deceive me. I deceived myself. If I'm saying I'm not sinning, that I have no sin in my life, none, I'm deceiving myself myself and he goes further and says the truth is not in you when you do this I'm out here in the wilderness I'm out here all alone here in my belief saying that I that I don't sin thinking I'm saying the truth but I've deceived myself that the truth is no longer with me in regards to this matter and so we are there you need to find a way to get back you need to quit deceiving yourself. And that's why he's telling the church, the Gnostics, when they say they don't sin, they're deceiving themselves. And the truth isn't with them. So there has to be a, a bridge between we sin over here and the obedience that God's called us to be perfectly to. And so we keep going in this letter. And John says this in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay. All right, so he, he's giving us a remedy there. I've, I've deceived myself and I'm out here saying I'm not sinning. And John's telling us how to respond to that as well as to all sin. He says that we need to confess our sin. Confess. Now, again, you take a look at what that word means. Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I just read off the list of my sins. That's not confessing 
a sin. That's listing your sin. That's saying your sins. That's not confessing your sin. The, the word here means that we admit that this is a sin. We profess that this is a sin. In other words, we say, I am in agreement with God that what I did, the sin that I did, was a sin. It is what God declared is true, that this was wrong. It was a failure on my part. It, the fullness of sin is exactly what God, it's me getting alignment into what God is. And there goes my phone. It is getting in alignment with God. It's not an excuse. It's not saying, God, here was the reason why I committed sin. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the reason for committing sin. God doesn't say, listen, you need to explain. And here's what else he doesn't say. He's not saying you have to pay for that sin. You need to make up for that sin. He's saying, what do you need to do? Confess. I need you to realign yourself with what sin is. That's what I need you to do. I need you to confess. I need you to know yourself in the fact that you believe truly that this was a sin that I committed. It was the full magnitude that God says. It was as bad as God says. We can have it where we can justify a sin. little white lie. Is that a sin? Well, it is a sin. No, you need to get on board with what God says about sin. Was it a sin? Yes. What does it do? What does the payment do for that sin? You're, you're unrighteously angry with a, with a brother? Well, you've committed murder. That's what Jesus says. Yeah, but, but you need to get on board with what Jesus says. Jesus says that the sin of unrighteous anger is murder. When you confess that you are unrighteously angry with somebody, you need to be aligned with what God says that sin is. That is a sin for you to do that. Otherwise, you're not really sorry you did it to the magnitude that you need to be saved. You're not getting on board with what God says. You're partially jumping on board. That's not a confession. Jesus says, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Do you believe that? Well, it's not really adultery. God's saying, confess. Get on board with what I am saying that sin is. Because if you don't do that, then you can't fully appreciate what comes next in that verse. If we confess our sins, that means to the fullness. That means that we accept that God's definition of sin, and sin is as bad as he says it is, then I'm not going to believe what he did in response to that sin. It says this, it says, He is, talking about God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if I'm not sinning, I don't need God. If I'm sinning, but it's a little sin, a little bitty sin, then I just need a little bit of God. Just need a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of cleaning up. But if I confess my sin, I say, God, you are so right that sin is keeping me away from doing what you want me to do. It's keeping me from doing what I want to do, what's best for me. God, sin is as bad as you say it is. It keeps me from you. Lord, 
I did this. I can't believe that I did it, but I did it. I'm coming to you confessing. And then when God says, I forgave that sin, then you go, thank God you forgave that sin because there was nothing that I could do about it. I confess my sins. I agree with what you're saying. And God says, here's how much grace I bestowed upon you. Here's how much mercy I gave you in forgiving that sin. And you go, thank God. Thank God that he forgave. And thank God that I can now stand clean. Because the problem with not confessing sin and just listing it out is I minimize God. And here's what happens. Down the line those sins keep popping back in your head because not enough was done to get rid of them. You need more cleansing to be done. You need more cleaning. You need to make up because God couldn't have taken care of all those sins because you didn't fully confess them in the back and God didn't fully take care of them because you don't believe Him in that either. And all of a sudden now, you've got to take care of it yourself or you can't go before God. You can't serve God because you have these sins in your past. And God's saying, I don't need you to pay for this. I need you to acknowledge what it was to confess the sin. I've taken care of this and now you stand before me clean, which means you can do exactly what I need you to do. What I've called you to do. But if I'm skipping this over here, if I'm skipping the confession, then I can't get to the fullness where I stand before God saying, I'm clean, God. I'm clean. Understand why I can say that. It's because Christ paid for that. And I not only believe sin is what God says it is, but I believe in what He says He has done for it. Amen? That He has cleansed it. He is faithful when He says He's going to do that. He's just when he did it, and he cleanses it all. But it starts with confession. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, a liar. And his word is not in us. We have to acknowledge sin, and not just the, the, the actual violation but the magnitude, the meaning of it. It's not about paying your debt. It's not about being worthy. It's not about perfectly obeying commands. It's about our understanding of what sin is, agreeing with God, our response to sin. It's about understanding what the debt required. It's about understanding what God did in response to sin. And John continues on, beginning in chapter 2. Again, we put a little chapter number there, but this is all the same letter. It's a continuation. He's writing to this church that he loves, this letter to them. And so he just says that. Listen, you're basically saying that if you're saying that you're not sinning, you're lying. You need to confess. And he says this. He says, my little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's not giving you a pass to sin. And that's what we have to understand as well, that the confession of sin, if I have just a list of sins that i got to tell God about, then I'm not going to stop doing those again. It's just a list. But if I confess, 
If I'm on my knees saying, God, this is what I did to you. This is the magnitude of that sin. This is what I did. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I agree with you, God, on the magnitude of what sin is. I agree with you with what it required. I agree with you. And then I agree with you when you say that it's been paid for. And then that opportunity to sin again comes up. What is my attitude going to be to the sin now? I'm not going to be perfect. But it's definitely going to be different than if I just said, Lord, forgive me for this sin over here. Sometimes we can be asking forgiveness for the Lord for a sin over here and already have scheduled that sin for next Friday night or next Saturday night. That's not confession. How we handle sin, how we handle tasks that are failures determines the end goal. We're not made. He's not saying this so that you so that you can just go on sinning. For my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin anymore. That's not why I'm writing this, though. Because he says this, but anyone, if anyone does sin, and if you say you don't sin, what are you? A liar. He's already said that. He's not giving you a pass to sin, but if you do sin... It says this, it says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The three key things in there. I'm going to take them in reverse. They're, in fact, if you have your Bible, go underline these. Advocate, righteous, and propitiation. Propitiation, it's a fancy word, uh, uh, the definition of the fancy word is atonement, atoning sacrifice. That's another fancy word <laughs> to describe a fancy word. Basically, it means he paid your debt in full. That's what that means. That's propitiation. He is your debt payer. He paid off what you owed, paid it off. And that's important for us to realize. So he paid it off. And how do I know he paid it off fully? Because he took on our Sin. He took on the payment of our sin and paid it all, and now he's standing before God righteous. Now, we're righteous because of the blood of Christ. Christ is righteous because he paid it. He's standing before the Father righteous, clean. And now he is advocating for us. Now, we're advocate. Sometimes we look at it in a court sense, like if someone that's pleading our case. But God isn't sitting there, Jesus isn't sitting there pleading, saying, please, Father, forgive them. Please, please, forgive them. No. He is their representative. He is our representative. And he says, I am their advocate. I've taken upon their sin. I'm righteous. I am clean. You see them through me. I'm standing before you, Father. We have an advocate, someone that's standing in our place, and that person is Christ, who is completely clean, righteous, because he took on our sin and he paid for it for us. Going back to 1 John, where he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has done all the work, 
And he's standing before the Father saying, they're mine. I've paid their sin debt. I've taken it on and paid it fully. So John is saying to them, listen, I'm not saying this so that you can sin more. But if you do sin, understand this. You have somebody that's standing in your place. You have somebody that is completely righteous. You have somebody that is completely paid for your sin. But if you don't recognize that you have sin in your life, then you're not going to recognize the need to have somebody standing before the Father clean after paying for your sin. There, I'm talking to believers here. John's talking to believers here. So that happened. It's already happened. There's nothing else that you need to do for that payment of debt to occur. We're not talking about you earning that payment at this point. We are saying... This is what happened. Do you believe that? Do you know that fully? And that should affect your, your reaction to sin in your life. Do I believe that? He is the propitiation of sin. We are called to obey the commands of God. Understand this, though, as a perfect requirement. And it has been executed perfectly by Christ. We have magically received the perfect yard, the perfect lawn. And it's not because of what I did. And what John is saying is, do you know that? See, if you want to know God, which gets right back into that verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know Him. If I don't recognize how much sin Christ paid for me, the magnitude of my sin that he required to take upon his back on the cross. If I don't know that, then I don't fully know him. I have to understand my need for Christ to understand exactly what Christ did for me. We're talking about fully here. We're talking about more and more. And when I start getting in line with, here is what God wants for me, here's what he's done for me, then I begin to believe him when he says, I have your best interest at heart. My commands for you are the best commands for you. My commands for you are the commands of a God that loved you so much, this is what he did. And so then I begin to believe him when he says, this is a sin. This is something that you need to change your view of. And this is all talking to believers. He's already accepted Christ as your Savior. I mean, the miraculous grace of God that He saves us when we have just an inkling of how much sin needs to be paid. Yeah, I know you think you got a lot of sin that needs to be paid. But man, you have no idea how much sin I'm going to pay for you. But I'm going to pay it. You have to ask one time 
and I'm paying it all. And then as time goes on, hopefully you will see more and more of the grace that I have bestowed upon you as my child, the mercy that I have merited out to you as my children. Get to know how truly loving a God I am that I did this. To really know me, not because of some movie that I was in, like a celebrity actor, but knowing me like you know yourself, the very fiber and character of my being. And when you start getting closer and closer to that, then you begin to trust God more and more. So I ask you today, confessing every single one of your sins is going to be hard especially when we use the word confess the way it's supposed to be used. But there is sin in your life that you know about, that the Holy Spirit lays upon you. If not, then then pray to the Holy Spirit. He will answer that prayer when you ask him, what do I need to confess? And if you are not ready to confess that sin, then you pray to God that he gives you the heart and the direction to get to that point. There's some sin that takes a while before you're ready to confess it. But I ask you today, don't leave here, whether it's privately or whether it's confessing to somebody that you know or that you've sinned against. Today is a day to start that. Otherwise, you're going to be out here in the wilderness leading yourself astray, deceiving yourself, and not taking advantage of the love of God that you could be taking advantage of. Can you imagine if we begin to understand the magnitude of sin in our life and all aspects of our life? That little white lie or, or how you treat your employer or your employee, the commands of God that you know you're supposed to be doing at work but you don't do. your finances, your neighbors, your community. What does God want you to do in regards to them and that you're not doing, which is sinful? In your family, can you imagine if your spouse knew that you, tre- you viewed sin just as evil as God viewed sin? How secure do you think that spouse would feel in that relationship, knowing that what you despise is the same thing that God despises? And when, they, when you fail at that, you are on your knees confessing it. Can you imagine the strength of families that live with that, that when a sin happens, there is confession, admittance to accepting how bad it is and then accepting the grace of God that it's already been paid for. Can you imagine someone coming in off the street to this church and seeing a room not full of holier than thou's, but broken as thou's? 
confessing of their sins, saying how bad they are. No matter what this person has done, we were in the same boat as you. We were in the same boat as you in regarding sin because this is how bad sin is. But we have the second half of that verse when it says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is the only difference between me and you walking in off the street. I am not holier than thou. I'm just as broken as thou. I just have an advocate now that's paid for my sin. Can you imagine the view of the world of the church with that as what we're known for? And that's what I want us to get to. That's what I want to come here on Sunday or, or whatever it is, whatever day that you come. That's why when you're singing a song, you're praising God, not because that's what the words say, but because you know what sin is. You know what you've done. You know the ramifications. You know how bad it was. You know how big sin is. And you know what it took from God. And you know what he did. Amen? That's what I want. That's what John wants. And when we do that, we can rest assured that when I say that I am perfect in keeping the commands of God, that's also the realization that my perfect comes from Christ, bridging that gap between my sin and what it takes to be righteous. And that's why I can say that if I keep His commands, I know God. And I know that I know God. 